On this episode, listen to my conversation with Grayson Marshall Jr. Grayson is the coach of coaches. He is sought after by C-suite level executives to shift their personal and professional paradigms. Professional athletes, educators, the military, and youth all benefit from his platform and approach, which is a true contrast to the motivation genre that exists today. Grayson has the unique talent of getting you to believe in you and is called the metacognition expert. I've learned not to classify any specific achievement because when you live in expectation of good things happening, you live every day marveling at what the world, the universe, what God does to bring it all to pass in a way that you never would. So I don't look at one specific thing and say, wow, this thing happened great to me today. I believe that if I continue to do right things, all the things that should be happening are going to happen when they're supposed to. And all I can focus on is what it's going to take to make sure that continues. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Focus on what you can sort of, you can control. Focus it, and, and then let everything else that falls by its way, falls by its way. It's going to fall when it's supposed to, not when I want it to. Agreed. Agreed. And yeah, it's, it's that expectation gap that can often um, trip a lot of people up. Well, expectation is the happiness killer. So here's what happens. Expectation involves someone else's involvement in your destiny because they need to participate. And truthfully, if you're really going to go where you need to go, no one else can really be involved in it. It's just you. Yeah, it's a, that, that's, a, that's a great perspective. If you're expecting someone else to change or to do something, then you give up control. Correct. In what's going to happen in, the, in that situation. So it's better to just focus Correct. on what you can do and you know, focus on your effect on the world and go from there. Exactly. Um, Grayson, I'd love to hear a bit more of, about your, uh, your backstory, how you came to mentor and, and coach leaders, athletes, and entrepreneurs. If I go back, if I look back over my life, my family upbringing had a lot to do with my introduction into helping others. My mother was a principal. My dad was a teacher. My sister's the head of online education for the Department of Defense in the United States. So I think from an early age, all I saw was people helping other people focusing on people being the right example for others to follow. I think that was always that way. So teachers are a lot like coaches. They're there to teach you, instruct you, give you leadership and direction, encourage you and redirect you when you're not doing the things that you need to do. So as an athlete, my success, the majority of my success came in basketball where I was an assist leader. I'm a record holder. I'm a Hall of Fame inductee and I'm an ACC basketball legend. And everything that I did on the basketball court had everything to do with me passing to other people. I was always the guy who was the unequivocal leader. I was vocal without being demonstrative. I was quiet yet outspoken. And I was able to garner respect from my ability to work harder than anybody that was out there. So I think all in all, I had the DNA for leadership and direction because leaders aren't born to develop. And I think over the years that I've been in positions to uh, give direction, I've always excelled that and I've always exceeded in those areas. So being homeless at 29 after my sports career, something gave me a real perspective on the world itself. I was not homeless because I wasn't intellectually gifted or smart. I was homeless because there's an application missing in the pursuit of entrepreneurism that I wanted. I had nobody to teach me. I had no coach. So I think my whole purpose now for teaching and coaching is to fill in that gap that you just talked about, fill in the missing information, fill in the missing application that most people have to be able to execute the dreams that they secretly think about and desire to have. 
You mentioned that when you were 29, you had no one to turn to. So did you find someone to turn to to turn that around? Or did you make the realization yourself that it was, it was you that was holding you back? Well, obviously, you have to come to the point where you own where you are. And so you have to make the realization. Did I find an individual? Not specifically, but I found a collective direction of information. I started reading more than ever. Uh, I got involved in ministry. I was heavily involved in ministry for 15 years. So I was able to accept the new direction in my life where the foundational principles and basis were different from everything that I'd ever done. So I'd grown up in the church, but didn't really have a true relationship of how faith played a true part in it. I think when you get to the continuum and you understand that faith and fear are the two emotions that we deal with, and one cannot exist without the other, however, they cannot coexist, then I really was able to really funnel and understand the faith perspective, understand what it meant, how it applied in my life. And I was able to exercise that. And once I understood that, then everything in my life totally changed, turned around and went in the right direction. What does faith mean to you specifically? Well, for me, my faith is rooted in the Bible. Christianity is the faith that I profess. So faith means to me, obviously biblical faith has to have an object, but faith means to me, the biblical definition is faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith truly is giving it away, giving up the control. We talked about this earlier in the podcast. It's truly controlling what I can control and trusting everything else will take place in the, in the right time, at the right season, in the right way. So faith for me is just a walk that I have, that everything that I do from the heart is going to play out in my life just the way it's supposed to. Do you find um, people cross your path and mention, I guess, put you down or have negative emotions towards you, you know, thinking that you've got it, got it all? And how do, how do you deal with the naysayers? Well, it's, it's funny because no one can naysay what you don't allow them to naysay. So always people are going to have negativity. They're always going to have skepticism. and It's got nothing to do with me. Once I learned that, once I really learned that their opinions of me are based on the lack of belief and faith they have in themselves, it really gives you a different perspective. I I think I shared on Facebook the other night, they said, I realized I was born for a purpose, not a person, and I don't take anything personal. So as long as I stay focused on why I'm here and the things that I'm supposed to do, I'm going to help people. I'm not going to help a specific person. I'm going to help people. But in helping people, I can't take it personal. And I think you take it personal, Aiden, when you really have an expectation. When you're doing what you do unconditionally and you love just because it's for the sake of loving, then you have no reciprocal expectation. So when I do what I do, I don't do it expecting them to respond a certain way, act a certain way, or give me back something that they think I should have or I think they should give me. So when I release those constraints and don't put those things as valuable reasons for doing what I do, it keeps me free. It keeps me uh, not bound and allows me to operate in the flow of life that I love. So it really comes back down to that process so that the act of doing something, that in there is the gold. Yeah, it is your responsibility. I think what it comes down to, I think all of us, I mean, and when we look at happiness, I think people pursuit of happiness, one of my favorite movies, but we talk about being happy and happy is always dependent upon something external. When I talk to people about us having joy, joy is something internal. And we have to really begin to focus on what's inside of us. What we have in the world today is not a mind problem, it's a heart problem, but the heart is directly connected to the mind. If you look in the Bible, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it talks about the left being folly and the right being wisdom. And in that specific scripture, it's talking about the brain. 
Well, the right side of the brain controls the left side of the body. The right side of the brain, the left side of the body is where the heart is. So those two are connected. So if we want to shift where we are, we have to change the condition of our heart. And that's why I know that when I live the way that I live, I do what I do unselfishly without conditions. My heart is right, which means my head is right. So the two synchronizes one allow me to live the most amazing life possible. I guess for our listeners, how can they foster joy in the everyday? First of all, it's a choice. And I think that's what people have to come to grips with. Most of them have the illusion that everything that they face is in direct relation to how they're going to exist for that day. So you find joy when you find out who you are. Finding out who you are is understanding why you were put here. Why were you put here? You were put here to serve someone else. The Bible says greatest among you is the servant. Who are you serving? You have more joy. If you think about this, even in the, in the normal vernacular, look at people. And people that go do for other people have joy. They have peace. When they're going out and feeding the homeless and they're helping somebody who's downtrodden, it gives them joy. It makes them feel good. So it's the service, the attitude of serving, the attitude of giving. Who am I helping? That's how we're naturally wired. The world tells us to be selfish, grab for ourselves, and take what we have. But the real essence of true spirituality is about what are you giving? We talk about the universe and we talk about things we want. We talked about the law of attraction and people, so many people are involved in that. And I believe in it all. But when we have to do it, we have to look and understand how the principles work. Most people use the law of attraction for gimme, gimme, gimme. Well, if you're going to get what the way the law of attraction works, that what you put out, that's what you get back. When you ask for gimme, 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 the universe asks for gimme, gimme, gimme. But when you ask for how can I serve, how can I give, the universe will say to you, how can I serve you, how can I give? And we really understand how this whole thing works. Service to many leads to greatness. You want joy? Serve more people. Yeah, solid advice. And I think I recently heard something about the universe being described as a seesaw. And I guess in the way that karma sort of comes back to you, you know, the more that you give, then the universe actually has to rebalance. You, you mentioned it in a really, really clear way before, but when you're giving out to the universe, you know, the seesaw is unbalanced and the universe will find some sort of way to give back what you have given to others. Mm-hmm. And, it, and what we have to do is remember, it's not going to come back from where you gave. I think we have this block mentally that says if I gave to Fred, Fred needs to give back, back to me in order for things to be equal and copacetic. No, you just need to give. One of my favorite scriptures biblically is Luke chapter 6, verse 38. And it says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. It just says give. It doesn't say to who. It doesn't say how much. It says give. Make the practice of giving what you do. If you do that, it shall be given unto you. And it's going to be given to you in abundance. It's going to be given to you frequently. It's going to be given to you repetitious. It's going to come at you so much that you won't have room enough to accept it. So it's about giving. It is, yeah, at, at the end of the day. You mentioned before that you, you sort of found your purpose. Can you describe to the listeners what, what your purpose or what you've discovered your purpose to be? For me, it's about changing as many lives as I can. And that has everything to do with the, the mental approach to it. I'm called the metacognition expert. And by definition, metacognition means understanding and awareness of how you think. So when it comes to me, my whole purpose is changing the way they think. Here's what I know. If I can change your thoughts, I can change your beliefs. If I can change your beliefs, I can change your level of expectation. If I can change your level of expectation, I can change your attitude. If I can change your attitude, I can change your behavior. If I can change your behavior, I can change your performance. 
And if I can change your performance, I can change your life. But it all starts with the way you think. My favorite book says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. My purpose, I know why I'm here, is to get people to think differently than they do. Get people to think unconventionally. Get them to think in the progressive way to unlock the things that they want in life. That's what my purpose is. And I've known that for years. It's just now evolving into the right platforms, the right stages, the right venues, and the right audiences to be able to deliver that. Did you have to articulate that to yourself before you could articulate it to others? Was it, was it first, I guess, a feeling that you had to wrap words around before you could well, communicate that to others? I think it was a feeling, but honestly, I had to live it. Mm-hmm. I think I've lived it. I think anybody who shares their purpose, they have to live their purpose first. You have to experience it in order for somebody to tell it. It would be like me telling you about a movie I never saw. I can kind of tell you the clips that I saw. I saw the highlights, but I didn't see the movie. And I can only give you so much. And if you base what you feel about that movie on what I told you, then you're not getting a full Monty when it comes to it. I think in order for us to share what's going to free people, in order for us to give people what's going to be life-changing, you've had to go through it. And I believe that the lives I want to change are so large that I had to go through so much. You don't have enough on this podcast time to talk about the things that I've been through in life. But all of these things allow me to be qualified enough to share with folks what to do, what not to do, and why you should do it and why you should not do it because I've gone through it. What are the common, I guess, mistakes that you find your clients go through? What are, what are some of the common hurdles that you help them overcome? One of the biggest things that my clients deal with is their lack of belief in themselves. They've been shaped and they have actually been formed by the beliefs of other people. What they want out of life is usually what somebody else has told them they should have or somebody else told them they should want. Most of them do not think independently. They think collectively. They think based on the most popular topic or what seems to be apropos for the time. So what I deal with with them is the way that they think. If I can change the way you think, I can change your life. You know, people are slaves, not because they're bound physically, but because they're bound mentally. There's a freedom that comes with the way that we think. And we have been trained habitually. We have been trained selectively. We have been trained in a certain way to think a certain way based on our race, socioeconomic standing, where we live geographically. We've been trained a certain way. This group of people has this. This group of people will never have that. So we've been conditioned so much that we don't even look at what's able to be done because the condition is so much greater. Mark 7 and 13, and the Bible says, the tradition of man makes the word of God in an effect. That means what we practice, our habits, the things that we do consistently in our lives, they take on a greater value in our lives and in where we're going than the things that we know to be true, the things that we dream about. And so what I do is try to remove those blocks of tradition and habit and change them for the way that they need to be thinking so that the new way can become the tradition and habit. Are there any questions that you ask that get, can start to help people think differently? Now, if I give you all this stuff, then I'm not going to have any clients here. Are you looking here? <laughs> no, of course. Uh, but what I do is I take them through a cognitive process and I talk to them about their fears and why they have them. And what I come out of that whole process with is that what they think they're afraid of, they're not. Then I take them to the other side of what they would like to have in life. And they tell me what they would want to have. And basically, when I talk to them, 
the things that they think that it takes to have what they want is not what it takes. So actually they're chasing after the wrong stuff and they're running from the wrong stuff, which is why they're never getting the results that they want. So we isolate what that is so that they can know exactly where their fears are. Let's work on eliminating those and what you are not doing so we can move that out of the way so you can get what you want. Yeah, I found that in, I guess, my own life. Going towards goals, it's never quite how you envision you'll get there. And often there'll be ups and downs and there'll be divergences in what you do that you can't even begin to imagine when you first set out to do something. So it's often mm-hmm. you know, that, that constant iterative, adaptive process that you keep sort of moving forward with action, which is what I found to be probably the best way to, to move closer to a goal is, is to take action, even if it's imperfect, even if it's the wrong kind of action, at least it's some sort of action so that you can course correct later. And again, when you take action, here's what happens. Action, you got to remember this, that action is controlled by your conscious mind. Here's the challenge that we have in the motivational world, which hinders people so many times. Action is done and controlled by your conscious mind. Your conscious mind is only 5% of your thinking. So action is something that has to be done all the time. What you really have to do if you want to change the way that your life is, you've got to get to your subconscious mind. So imagine this. Uh, Jack Canfield gives this illustration I think is the best one that I've ever heard. Imagine you have two sets of horses. you got five horses pulling one way, and you've got 95 horses pulling the other way. Which set of horses are going to win every time? The 95 horses. The 95 horses is your subconscious mind. But guess what every self-help seminar, guess what every motivational seminar, guess what set of horses they focus on? The conscious mind. They focus on the 5%, which is why you have to keep going back, which is why you have to go to level two, which is why you have to go to seminar four, seminar six, because they know it doesn't last. They know it's not going to last. And the only way you're going to shift and change significantly is to change the subconscious mind. Well, the subconscious mind is connected to the heart. So like I said from the beginning, when you change the heart, you begin to change everything. Here's Here's the challenge that that business causes. That business does not make money because motivation sells. Change doesn't sell because change is scary. People don't want it, so change doesn't sell. But if you want to have a different life, change is inevitable and change is necessary. It's the only constant you can have. So I don't subscribe to the motivational world. Do I believe motivation is necessary? No doubt, but in its proper form. I'm an ex-athlete, and what I know is I can be in the locker room and get hyped as I want to. I can be ready to play. I can have my mind right. I can run out of that tunnel and be ready to play. I'm going to tell you something. After those first 30 seconds or 45 seconds of that game starts, I better be able to play basketball because the motivation has gone. And the same thing in life. You get motivated to start a project. You get motivated to change where you are. It's great. I get started real good, but I don't finish real well. Why? Because I'm always looking for the motivation to move me as opposed to the inspiration that I'm confident in is going to take me from where I am to where I want to go. So it's really having your internal sort of drive push you forward as opposed to seeking external sources to continue on. Because when the external is not there, what do you have? Exactly. You've got to rely on yourself. Then, but, but the motivational world only talks to you about the external. It rarely talks to you about the internal. And that's why I don't consider myself a motivational speaker because I don't want to be in the category of introduction to potential and dropping you off and not finishing it. I don't want to be that guy. Which is why 
I don't do a lot of things that the other motivational people in the world do. However, I'm sought after by so many because I am a life changer. You will be different after you meet me. You'll be different after you spend time with me. You just won't be motivated. You'll be completely different. See, the whole key to good coaching is to teach people not to need you, but be there when you do. John 14, 12 in the Bible, Jesus said this, greater works than these shall you do because I go to be with my father. Now, if you, I don't, it doesn't matter to me whether you understand or believe in Jesus. The Bible is a historical book that people have used for years to literally look at the history of life and how things are formed. So the reality of it is that Jesus is recognized by every world religion in the world. The only thing that separates him and Christianity is the fact that Christians believe he's the son of God. But everybody recognizes him as an impeccable person, as one who went around doing good. So here's what he said. He said that greater works than these shall you do. Well, if we look at the documented history of what he accomplished, it was about healing people. It was about raising people from the dead, feeding people. Everything that was good, good humanitarian thing to do, he did. He said greater works than these shall you do. So if I'm taking his assignment and he's saying I should do greater, he was only here teaching for three years and then he was gone. So in three years, he left me everything that I need. So why do I have to go to seven to eight years of seminars with one person? My whole goal is to teach you not to need me, to be there when you do. I don't know if you have kids. I have four kids or four grandkids. My goal is to teach them to get out my house, not live here forever. You shouldn't be dependent on somebody for 30 or 40 years for your substance, your growth, and your development. Get out of here and go figure this thing out. Get out of here, go experience it. Get out of here, go learn it. I'm here to talk to you about what might not have happened while you were doing it, but you can't have me walk you through everything. Yeah, it's, it's that dependency piece. You've got to, No question. You, you phrase it well. You, you've got to help people, especially in the coaching business, help them not need you, not rely on you. Because you know, if your business model is, is structured on the fact that they need to come back to you to do anything, then you're not doing well by them. You're only, Correct. You're only there to take their money. Correct. That's why I won't do it. Again, I don't knock people that do that. I want people who are listening to this to understand it. I'm not knocking you for doing that because here's the deal. If there's a market for it, do it. I don't sell drugs either, but I don't knock the dope man because he wouldn't have a business if folks weren't buying. I just choose to do it a different way. I think my way is more fulfilling for me. I think my way is more satisfying for my clients. And I believe they're different because if I can take what I do and multiply it and multiply it and multiply it, now the world is changing. See, I don't live in scarcity. I live in abundance. There's plenty for everybody. That's my belief. But the world we live in, even though they talk about abundance, they live in scarcity. The wealth live in scarcity. They don't want to tell you what they know because they don't want you to have what they have. Some do. The majority don't. We live in a world of fear. That scarcity is fear. And that's not conducive to a faith continued walk. I'd rather walk by faith. That's just me. I'm a little different. It's just how I am. Yeah, and that, that, that scarcity mindset is really communicated through a lot of media channels. No question. News, so, you know, it's, culture. it's everywhere we look. Exactly. Again, it becomes conditioned thinking. So conditioned thinking leads to conditioned behavior. So if fear conditioning is how I'm perceiving the world, then fear behavior is how I'm going to live in it. And yeah, if, if you, you can get yourself lost in that loop, and some people do. Exactly. They get locked down into this sort of negative mindset, this feeling of fear and this feeling of scarcity. And it really, they both feed on each other. No doubt. And it shapes who they are and how they live life. 
that's just the way it is. And so a lot of, a lot of respect to you, Grace, and find the other way and showing people how, how they can turn their life around. Blaze the trail. I'm going to take the road less traveled and I'm going to leave a path. That's just how I am. Hmm. A question that I'd like to ask uh, all guests on the podcast, and I'd love to hear your take on it, is what's your definition of the grind? Well, you know, that's a word that I don't use. And I'll tell you why. Because what part of grind sounds positive? What part of grind sounds encouraging, refreshing? Grind to me is a word that sounds like it's arduous work. Grind sounds to me like it's tedious, monotonous. Nothing I pursue in life wants to be tedious or monotonous. I don't use that word grind. I think that the vernacular that we use, words have so much power that when you call it a grind, it's got to take effort. If you just do the things you need to do, it won't be a grind. It's a process, but it won't be a grind. But I think, again, we talk ourselves into those mindsets. We talk ourselves into, God, this is tedious. This is arduous. Why does it have to be that way? So I got to be honest with you. I don't have a definition for it because it's not a word that I subscribe to. I don't. I'd rather find the good in that whole thing. I like the word process more than I like grind. Process seems to tell me that I'm going somewhere. I'm in route. I'm making it happen. There's something coming to the end of it. When I look at grind, grind doesn't tell me that there's ever an end. Grind just seems to tell me this is the way I have to live. I don't want that. The process says I'm moving somewhere. I'm going through. I'm getting from one place to another. I'm getting to my destination. I'm going to the end. This is the process. If I'm cooking food, there's a process. If I'm baking a cake, there's a process. If I'm going, you know what I'm saying? If I'm achieving something, there's a process. But always the process means to me that there's something in the end that I want. The grind tells me that that's just the way I got to live. And I just choose not to. That's my definition. Thank you. Really appreciate your perspective. I love how everyone's got a a unique take on it. So really, really appreciate your your perspective on on the word, the grind. Grayson, where can can people find more about you and learn more about what you can do and what you can help? And um, go to to others. Go to GraysonMarshallJr.com, G-R-A-Y-S-O-N, Marshall with two L's, J-R.com, GraysonMarshallJr.com. They can hit me up there. Hit me up on Facebook. On Instagram, I'm Grayson Marshall Jr. as well. I think on Twitter, G Marshall Jr., I think, on Twitter. So just find me anywhere. I'm easy to find, and I look forward to having you reach out to me, and let's see if we can connect make a little difference in your life and change the way you see what you're doing and who you are. Amazing. Thank you again. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me. If this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, I appreciate you for stopping by. Please subscribe. Otherwise, if you took away valuable advice from this episode, I'd love for you to share it with others. Until next time.